Hey, it's Joe Trippy. Welcome back to That Trippy Show, and thanks for listening. I was on Hacks on Tap last week, a great podcast. Please check that out. It was great to be with those guys. You know, the one thing I want to point out here is the only way people find us, actually, is if you actually go and rate us at iTunes and, and leave some comments or, or suggestions and and even ask a question, I'll try to get to them. Uh, but it, it helps other people find us. It tips them off that maybe they want to listen to this show. So I'd really appreciate if you made the extra effort if you if you enjoy listening to this. Anyway, here we go. Alex, we're 46 days away from Election Day. How's your anxiety level, Dude, buddy? If I hear one more thing that, like, Democrats are freaking out about. Well, we're Democrats. Of course they're going to be freaking out. It's kind of our job. what we do, yeah. Yeah. Joe, let's just dive right in. We got some more good news from a bunch of new Senate polls this week that people are actually kind of excited about. In Maine, and here you go, the Democrat, according to Quinnipiac's new poll, Sarah Gideon, look at this. They have a 12-point lead for Gideon, the Democrat, over Susan Collins. How about this? South Carolina. Here's Jamie Harrison, the Democrat, Lindsey Graham, the incumbent, Tied at 48. And we've seen some close polls in South Carolina. We haven't seen many where Harrison gets up to 48. Obviously, Gideon's over 50. Harrison is close to 50. I think that's the highest he's been in a while. Um, it's really getting hard to see a way for Republicans to hold the Senate, Joe. Well, look, I've been saying it's 1980. Uh, and uh, I think that's what's going to happen here. This isn't going to be three or four seats, my friends. It's going to be uh, much bigger than that. And you can see it in these numbers. Uh, look, the main Main poll is probably an outlier, uh, but look, you take four points off of Gideon and she's still up by eight. And she's over 50. Yeah. It, it's not, it, that's not looking good at all. Uh, and then, you know, look, even, um, the, you know, one of the things the Republicans were pointing at is that McConnell uh, was at 53 and, 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 and you know, and you got to think of it, this is the Senate Majority Leader in Ruby Red, Kentucky, and he's at 53. And that's their good news? I mean, right. um, I don't think, you know, I don't think that's that, that's looking good. I don't, I'm not sure that he can be defeated, but I sure don't think it's great that um, the Senate Majority Leader is sitting barely above 50 um, with still a bunch of undecideds out there. And, you know, I think you look at, you know, Arizona, uh, with Kelly, I don't see McSally coming back uh, back there. So you're starting to see this actually roll up, uh, I think. And I think it's going to get a lot worse uh, over the next uh, 46 days. We're going to see other other races uh, close. And, and even I think you're going to see some other some races that we're not even thinking about right now um, that, you know, come into play. I think it, this is going to be a, a very tough uh, things for Republicans to hold, and and part of that is it's, it, it you know you take you take Susan Collins as like an example up in in, in Maine, she's got a whole bunch of problems. First of all, the Trump voters, the ones that are going to you know you, you know want uh, somebody who's solidly with him and backing him a hundred percent of the time. Well, they those voters know. That's not Susan Collins. At the same point, everybody else in the state knows she's not going to be a check on on Trump at all. Um, right. She may be disappointed, uh, concerned, but she's never, never going to going to check, you know, be a check on him. And so, you know, I still think and I think that that same thing is happening in South Carolina to Graham. 
Um, there, he's clearly, you know, 100% Trump, Trump, Trump. But what you look at, look, I'm telling you, there's 85% of the Trump voters out there are going to vote uh, for the, you know, for Graham. But there's, there are Trump voters that are going to hold their nose. They're going to still vote for him, even though they don't really, they, they, they think there's some real deep concerns and angst about where he's taking the country. And those voters, I think, are looking for uh, somebody who's going to vote for Trump, but they want They don't want to give him a rubber stamp. They want somebody who's going to be a check on him. And those Republicans, when they come, those Trump voters, when they go into that booth, I think they're not going to be voting for Graham. And you don't need that many in some of these states, right? Uh, well, to make Harrison a big difference. Here. What a million bucks after that poll came out. So hopefully that'll help him a little bit strategically as he's looking who to target. Yeah. And the, the, the donors out there have it's on the map now. Uh, that's going to continue to happen with a lot of these races. And I think, again, you can't figure you can't see where uh, particularly Collins, where does she go? Uh, and, you know, the other interesting thing is, is, you know, you know, Trump is going to go he, where he has to go for electoral votes uh, and he's just going to be out there for himself. I mean, he's going to go to to Arizona repeatedly because if, if they still have it in play and there's a question about that. But if it's in play and he keeps going back, that's not going to help McSally at all. Right. And um, McSally may not want him to come, but he ain't going to give a damn about her. It should just be another person, another one he throws under the bus along with, you know, he could go to Maine to try to pick off uh, the second district, uh, 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 Maine's electoral votes. He may need them desperately. And he goes there. That's not going to help Susan Collins at all. It's going to hurt her. So you look at this, it's, it's kind of going to be interesting. How do the electoral map and Donald Trump's own personal private needs um, circumvent the 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 the, uh, the the interest of the Senate candidates that you need to hold a Senate majority for Republicans. Those two things are not going to uh, be together in a lot of places, and they're diametrically opposed. And I think Trump is going to make their problems even worse. Right. Colorado is another I- one. I mean, how does how does Hickenlooper? You know. You look at our candidates on the Democratic side, those same Trump voters I'm talking about who are looking across at a Democrat and thinking for the first time that maybe they're going to vote for a Democrat um, is is, as poisonous as the idea may be to them. And they look across and they're seeing Bullock and and Hickenlooper and and, uh, people like Harrison and, and Mark Kelly. Those aren't those aren't AOC. They're not they're not Democrats that Republicans would would really fear voting for. These are are common sense uh, Democratic candidates. I mean, it's a huge field of really strong candidates who who actually have some appeal across party lines. And that's the other thing where I think Biden helps, too, because he's not he's someone it's, you know, the chaos versus calm. you know, who's going to lower the temperature? And when you look at Mark Kelly and Biden, they're going to lower the temperature and bring people together. Not not so with Trump and, and McSally can't who has to keep beating the Trump drum to keep those right, it's voters in shot. line. It's a it's yeah. a really it, it, that is a lot of cross pressure. 
That's something, by the way, as a campaign manager, you love to see. You love to see voters that are, that are cross-pressured that way because it gives you an opening uh, to make the case. Um, and some of that cross-pressure is going to work to Democrats in a lot of these Senate races. And that's why I don't, I, I don't think there's any, no doubt in my mind, that um, it's going to be six, seven seats uh, in the Senate. It's again, going back to 1980, Democrats lost 12 seats that, that night when, when, uh, uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, unpopular, uh, president at the time lost, we lost 12 seats. I think this is much more like 1980 than, than any of the other elections we're all worried about. It's not 2016. It's not 2008. It's not, it's not any of the recent elections that we we've witnessed. Right. You know, you're talking about Maine and, and you threw me when you said Trump's personal private needs. And I'm just going to pray that we can edit that out and post it completely derailed me for a second there. We, we've seen this everywhere where, you know, you said this last week, money begets money, but good polling begets money, too. Yeah. So, you know, looking at a place like Texas, if the next and I know Q, Q didn't pull Texas this time, but, you know, if we see something like a two-point race, a tie, tie game in Texas with Cornyn and MJ Hagar. Do you think that changes anything for Democrats in Texas? Of course it does. I mean, I mean, look, if you get a, a close race going, first of all, she's going to raise a ton of money, just like Harrison did uh, off the poll against Graham. Um, and I think uh, you, she'll have the resources that she needs to, to fight all the way you know, down the line. Uh, and and, you know, and Trump's not as strong as te- in Texas as he was in, in uh, 2016. I mean, that's that's part of what you've, people need to understand is he's much weaker uh, in this uh, election than he was in 2016. And he presents this real problem for every one of his Senate candidates in these swing states or in a margin state. And, yeah, Texas is only lean Trump. And he's probably, you know, he, he, you can't count him out there. He's going to win it uh, most likely, but not by any means by the margin he won it in 2016. If if Texas Senate race becomes a race, if we actually see polling, she's going to have the resources. The other problem that Republicans have is they've got too many places they have to defend now. They have to actually start having to defend Texas, too. That's an expensive state. Right. Um, that's money that they may pull out of. Um, they may pull out of Maine, you know, in terms of sending money to to Collins. Uh, it, this is a you know this is a a really uh, I think kind of dire situation. Um, uh, happily so. So, do you see any of these endangered Republican incumbents if the polling gets really bad? Do you see any of them breaking from Trump? No, no, they can't do it. They break from Trump, the Trump voters. I'm talking about the voters that, you know, will stay with him if he shoots somebody on Fifth Avenue. Those Trump voters are going to go vote for Trump. And some of them are going to leave that booth without voting for that that non-Trump, uh, the, the person that broke away from Trump and betrayed him and is a traitor. Uh, they're not going to be, be there on the same token. The only way they can win is to reach out beyond that, something Trump's not going to try to do. Um, right. And so they're in a they're in a catch 22. I don't see any way that they that they you can't they can't get away from Trump. If they try to do that, um, they, it, it's not going to work. And like you got 
people like Lindsey Graham. I mean, are you kidding me? He's not going to break with Trump. And even right. if he did, people would just think he had a second frontal lobotomy. I mean, it's not like they're sitting there going like, oh, yeah, Lindsey Graham, he's he's steady as you as you go. Right. That's not going to happen. So I, I just think it starts to create even bigger problems for them. So, Joe, it seems like every week we're adopting a new state to talk about, but looking at everything, uh, we talked about a little bit last week how the Latino vote in Florida made Democrats a little nervous. Surprise, surprise. But it feels like kind of everybody responded at once. Uh, Biden went there, Kamala Harris went there, and Mike Bloomberg made a big announcement. Former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg is committing $100 million to help Joe Biden's campaign in Florida. Bloomberg's advisors say targeting just one state with the investment offers multiple benefits. They're still working out the details on how to spend this money, but say a lot of it is going towards TV and internet advertising, as well as Latino-focused get-out-the-vote efforts. That's a hell of a signal, eh? Yeah, so well, <laughs> yeah, that's that's his about a public signal as you can get. And that's what that was. I mean, normally uh, they might just start spending that money running ads um, and not make a big announcement. But I think the reason they made that big announcement, something again, um, if you're a campaign manager, it's called signaling. And that was a public signal to the Biden campaign that, that there's about to be a hundred million bucks spent in Florida. Um, on television, on digital. They were very specific even about on on Latino, get out the vote, et cetera, um, which lets the Biden people, if you're the Biden campaign team, you're sitting there saying, well, wait a minute. Um, does that mean we, I mean, they know what it means. It also means maybe we can take 10 or 15 million that we were gonna spend in Florida and move that money to North Carolina. Uh, or another uh, or, or another couple of states and, and up their budgets elsewhere. So it's, it, you know, a hundred million in Florida could be 40 million that the Biden campaign gets to spend in two or three other states, taking making even a bigger advantage over over Trump in, in those states in terms of spending and ability to communicate. But the other thing that's going on, look, um, Bloomberg's right about this. It, it, you know, Florida has been, you know, a very, very uh, close every election um, in my memory. In fact, you know, Stuart Stevens, he was on the podcast uh, last week, uh, you know, and he said since 92, the average gap between the, the Democrat and Republican um, share in Florida has been, you know, 2.5 points. I mean, over every and remember 2000, you know, it was 500 votes or so. So, um you know, the, the fact is, Democrats win Florida and this thing is over. It just is. And so to, to put it all there and for Biden and Harris to be there, to be going down there makes tremendous sense. It's to break Trump's back in Florida. And like I said, the, the, the twofer here is it's an all out effort to win Florida. But in, in terms of the way the Bloomberg people signaled publicly what they were doing, it also gives the Biden campaign now an advantage in terms of their own resources um, and whether they can commit resources in other places, knowing full well. I mean, let's say they had a $60 million budget for Florida uh, or $80 million budget for Florida. 
Um, well, they now have a $180 million budget in Florida. Certainly, they're not in control of that. But, the, you know, the, the, the Bloomberg people are not stupid. Uh, Howard Wolfson and the folks around him are some of the best uh, political minds that I've ever worked with, many of them. I think um, that literally does give them some advantage looking at this chessboard of electoral college states, uh, the four or five states that are toss-ups right now, and saying to themselves, hey, we can take some of our resources, uh, not all, not anywhere near, you know, but, but 10, 15% of them, and, get, and really go after another place and take an even bigger advantage over Trump, uh, who's having money problems, as we know. He may be trying to loan himself $100 million, as we've discussed. I don't believe he'll do that. but And we still have to figure out what I'm going to eat if he does. But we'll, we'll figure that out, Alex. Oh, man. I, that's, I've thought of little else. <laughs> so, well, just give me a good sour beer to, yeah. to wash whatever it is down. Yeah. So it, looking at Minnesota specifically, it, it, the state kind of keeps popping up, and I don't think any of us expected it this year. They seem, the Trump campaign seems just totally dead set on Minnesota. I think I saw a poll that had him down like 16 there. Yeah, which, well, they got to be. I, I mean, the, you, look, we know they're off the air in Arizona and Michigan. They're, you know, saying Minnesota is a big part of their strategy. Well, if you're if you're actually off the air in Arizona, you got to make that up somewhere. You're exchanging 11 electoral votes for 10 if you could pull it off. Um, but the, it, again, one of the things I find interesting about, you know, that their focus on Minnesota is it, it's actually signaling a retreat. Right. I mean, that they're retreating out of places that should be theirs, like Arizona or places they won last time uh, in the, 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 you know, the blue, when they collapsed the blue wall in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, they're still going to fight for them, but it's not clear what their Michigan strategy is. Nothing they've done is, is working. So I think Minnesota is kind of almost a desperate, you know, Hail Mary. Uh, I'm not saying they can't pull it off, but I just think it's not, it, it, there's nothing um, in any of the polling I've seen uh, that shows us that Minnesota is really in play. Um, uh, and, you know, look, it's not 16 points there. Come on. Uh, right. But it's not three either. Um, and they've, they've got, they still have five, four or five toss-up states, Ohio included, uh, with North Carolina, uh, Florida, and Georgia. Uh, and, and, and I think a lot of people... Uh, still have Arizona uh, a toss up, but I don't think so. I think they're 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 clearly moving away there. So um, McSally may like that, um, but um, I just think that that they've got a lot of problems here. Their their electoral map is shrinking, and what they're doing in terms of removing their resources around sort of proves that. Um, and the focus on Minnesota, which has a lot more. Minnesota's demographics are, are a lot closer to to like Maine even than to Pennsylvania. Right. You know, so I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see if they actually continue to to push into Minnesota in the face of these kind of, of the polling that we've seen recently. There's only 73 electoral votes. that are truly up for grabs, truly toss ups. And, you know, excuse me, but Biden doesn't need any one of them. I mean, right. th that's without Florida. I mean, he's at 278 without Florida. So if you get Florida, uh, no, there's no path. There's no yeah. path. Uh, there's no path with Florida right now unless he can make up for Arizona 
with Minnesota. This is what you're what you're seeing. You're seeing this move from a shrinking electoral map for Trump. His money's shrinking and there's now more pressure on him in Florida. And, you know, you start throwing those toss up states if they start to break to Biden, which I think they will. Um, I don't know if Ohio will or not, but I think uh, uh, some of those uh, toss up states are going to are going to break to Biden here. Uh, I even think there's some potentially states right now that are sort of lean Republican that could that could shock us. Uh, but you, you're looking at, you know, 350, uh, a, a big win. And the other the other thing I keep I want to point out here is because um, we keep now we've we're fighting the last war. Everybody is so freaked out about what happened in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and and, and uh, uh, Minnesota and uh, Michigan, excuse me, that. Uh, it's all electoral college. It's all electoral college. It's all electoral college. You know what? If it's a two point race, it is electoral college. If this is five points, if it's a five point win, there is no way that Joe Biden doesn't with it take the electoral college. Anything above that six, it's over. I mean, you look at the modeling and we're talking about with there, there are very few paths at all where Biden gets a, a five point, has a five point national lead that um, that Trump has any any ability um, to get there. He has to like pick off like northern Maine to get to like 268. I mean, the, the, in that environment, not going to happen. So I, I think that um, we're in a place where. It's not the Electoral College. That's what, and I know we keep looking at it every week, and I keep harping on it, uh, like everybody else. But I actually think our angst is sort of more because that was the last war, and we're not. This isn't 2016. Joe Biden um, is had a very stable seven, eight point national lead, and if that holds, it's going to be into the 300s and, and could start approaching 400 electoral votes. So, Joe, you're not really painting that rosy of a picture for Trump here. I know you just mentioned how how high it could go for Biden, but you know, one thing I saw from you on Twitter this week, and if you're not following at Joe Trippy, honestly, you're probably not listening to the show. Uh, you shared an article from the New Republic, uh, talking basically about how the media is drumming up the fear and the panic, looking for a good story. And uh, there, there's a quote from there that was basically. And I'll just read this. The biggest built in bias in mainstream media coverage of politics is really a vested interest in creating drama. The stability of the race is record breaking when you look at polling data going all the way back to 1940. But that's not really the impression you would have gotten over the last six months from reading or watching the news. Yeah, they look, they want to fight, right? I mean, they, they, they want to keep people watching and keep people worrying and wringing their hands and all the things that we Democrats are really good at doing. But, you know, the fact is, um, it as I was saying, this isn't 2016. Donald Trump is not nearly as popular. Uh, in fact, he's incredibly unpopular. Uh, barely won in 2016. That's like, you know, that's reality. Um, and, you know, for a lot of us, Democrats are chasing ghosts. What, you know, what about hidden voters? Uh, what about poll outliers? Um, that's because we all assume it's it'll be close. I, I just don't see that right now. It has been incredibly stable. Um, 
And I still harp on the contrast between chaos and community or chaos and calm leadership, however you want to structure it. But I think, you know, you look at uh, Biden and you look at Trump and everybody knows one's chaos and one's calm leadership, uh, one's uh, division, one's community. Um, and I don't think that contrast is going to change here. And that contrast has led to this, you know, the stable lead that Biden has. Then you got to look at, you know, again, Trump going off the air in places like Arizona and Michigan. Um, what what's their excuse? You know, the reality is it's not working. The arguments that they're using are not winning people back. And so um, I don't know what argument uh, that they're going to be able to make. Again, they're going to continue to make the argument that your life's going to be more chaotic and crazy with Biden as president than with me. But I don't I don't think that that uh, dog is going to hunt. And then again, I keep harping back to this, but it reminds me of the Carter Reagan uh, race uh, in 1980. Um, nothing was working for Carter, no matter what he did. Um, you know, we had double digit inflation, double digit unemployment, uh, the hostage crisis, uh, everybody, the, the wrong track numbers were off the mark. Um, and basically, there were a whole lot of people out there. Uh, you know, I talked to Pat Cadell, uh, who's passed away recently, uh, a year or two ago, uh, about this a lot. Um, and whatever you thought of Pat, he was brilliant um, at looking at this stuff and really understood the history. And, of course, was with Carter in that election. And he, he just said that it, it, people were, in the end, just looking. They just needed some assurance that Reagan was a safe choice. Um, and in that first debate against Carter, Reagan just handled himself well. Uh, he was he he wasn't any of the scary things that that uh, the Carter campaign had tried to paint him as uh, in terms of his persona and how he was uh, in, in that debate. And it was after that debate, after that first debate, that things really started to fall apart. I'm talking polling wise, electoral wise, undecideds breaking to Reagan. And that's where you got that huge shift to, you know, by the way, Reagan barely got over 50 percent of the vote. Um, But it was a big shift and uh, enough of one that Reagan won in a landslide and 12 Democrats lost their U.S. Senate seats that that night. And this just feels a hell of a lot more like 1980 to me than than any other election that I did. I it, much more so than any of the other races in 1980, 1990s, the, the 2000s, any of the ones that that um, that, if we, that we've witnessed recently. And I also think that's part of the problem with the coverage is there aren't very many people who are looking back at when was the last time we had a president that was this unpopular in this kind of economic chaos, um, a crisis of uh, not public health then, but but the Iranian hostages, the country severely cascading off into the wrong track. Um, when was the last time that happened? Well, the last time that happened was 1980. And I think there are people who've got, you know, who remember that, um, who've got a more, you know, looking at what we're seeing, have a more balanced view of what's happening here. Um, if you're looking at it through the lens of 2016, you got to freak yourself out and, and you know, hide under the, uh, the mattress. Joe, what I'm hearing you say is a lot of this is unwarranted, even if you're looking at individual states where Trump might be doing better than we thought. Where? 
I mean, look, he's very unpopular compared to 2016. Show me one state in 2020, one state where Trump is polling better than he did in 2016. One, any one, right? You got to go, you know, Al Hunt had an article uh, in The Hill, which I think everybody who's on this podcast, if you, you know, should, should read it. Yeah, Google Al Hunt and Democratic hand-wringing on the, in, in the Hill uh, uh, publication and read that piece because he was around in 1980. And, uh, and I think he's got a real sense of, of where we stand today. And I thought that was one of the best uh, pieces I've read in a long time on the race. The Republicans have won one national popular vote for president of the United States since 1988, one since then. And that was in 2004. That was George Bush seeking reelection. This isn't going to be the second time since 1988 that they win the popular vote. Donald Trump is far less popular today than he was in 2016. He didn't win the popular vote then. He's going to lose the popular vote by even more this time. Um, there's not one state. Tell me one state where that Trump is got more support today than he did in 2016, where he's leading or, or stronger than he was in 2016. You can't name one. I don't know, maybe Idaho, but th- that would be it. Uh, and I'm not sure I'd count Idaho in there either um, for him doing worse there than he did in 2016. Well, if he does any worse at all, and he's doing a lot worse, you've got it. We're not talking about that's what I'm saying. You look at 2016 through the lens of the Electoral College vote and everybody's focused on which toss up states. And no, it's this still is an election in which if you lead by four or five, five's the key number. If you can lead by if Biden wins by more than five points, and I think he will then a lot of these states, their toss-ups, a lot of these lean states, they're going to fall. If we see some erosion in that, in the, in, you know, if Trump starts to close nationally, um, then, you know, then, then, you know, you can, we'll, we'll visit that on the next podcast. But until then, get particularly given just the historic stability of this race the entire time and what I think is a locked in cement contrast between chaos and calm, um, chaos and community um, that just exists between Biden and, and Trump. I mean, can you imagine, think about the the, the debate where Reagan uh, uh, assured people that it wasn't, that it was a safe vote. We're going to go into a debate in which Joe Biden will be, will be that calm, stable leader. On and, performance enhancing drugs. Right. And, um, and Biden, I mean, Trump, will be the guy that isn't the safe but I mean, he's not, there's no way he's going to go through an entire debate and not go off the rails, okay? That's not, I mean, it's just not who he is. He's going to do that. And what I'm saying is, in a lot of ways, I think the debates actually could, um, again, magnify the contrast between Trump's chaos and Biden's calm leadership. And if that's what happens, I think there will be even more Republicans um, who will move towards Biden. And that's going to make a lot of these toss up states not toss ups anymore. And a lot of the lean states harden up. Um, And some of the lean Republican states, I don't know, maybe Iowa, 
uh, you know, maybe Texas, uh, start to actually come into play. So, Joe, this week's listener question, and I swear it's not my own username, it's Gobi Desert 5 who asks, well, first, love your show, which thanks, Gobi Desert 5. We love your show. Do you think Dems could do more by knocking on more doors versus what the GOP is doing? Or do you think they'll be okay with more digital and phone outreach? Look, I don't, first of all, as we get closer to election day, I don't sure, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure there are a whole lot of people actually want somebody knocking on their door um, and opening up the door and talk. Now, in this sense, Trump actually has an advantage, right? Why? Because the few people out there or, or a lot of the people out there who won't be bothered by somebody without a mask knocking on their door and answering it without a mask are Trump voters. As people, right. So, uh, you know, they can do that. I don't think I don't think most of the voters that I, I think are looking for that calm leadership um, and who actually are wearing masks and and doing the things we do for each other in, you know, as a community and for the common good are people that will like the Biden campaign's approach, right? To, to do, uh, to not have big rallies where no one's wearing a mask. For Biden to be that calm leader who's doing this um, uh, with phone calls and, um, and urging people to vote by mail, the voters that are likely to move to him are going to are going to respond to that. And I don't think they're going to respond to somebody knocking on their door um, with a MAGA hat and uh, and and no mask. Thanks for listening to that trippy show. A reminder, if you have a question, please submit it on iTunes in the review section. And just one more plea. Uh, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, the best way you can help spread the word is to actually take a few moments Give us a rating and a review at iTunes while you're there um, asking your question. Uh, it would really help uh, spread the word. That's how people find us. Um, and and uh, if you do leave a question, we'll try to answer it uh, in the next podcast. I'm actually trying to figure a way where we can answer some of the questions online um, that we can't get to on the, on the show. Uh, but please uh, give us five stars while you're there. And thanks again for listening. And I don't know if I'm going to keep up this joke about Alex being sharper next time. He just, he seems to be just like the Biden stable lead. There's kind of like this one gear. It's a lost cause. But we'll see you next week.